Okay, so you know I love good wordplay. And Third Love is crushing their wordplay here. When you have a bra that pinches or slips or just isn't comfortable at all or is comfortable but isn't your style, you've got problems. <laughs> How excited was Third Love when they thought of problems? Well done, Third Love. I see you. When you wear Third Love bras, you've got no problems. They fix the problem of size exclusivity with their famous half-cup sizes that revolutionized the industry by giving more options to find a bra that fits. And they fixed the problem of guessing what bra will fit you with their virtual fitting room and other helpful guides. A bra size chart, a bra 101 education section that's basically an FAQ for all your burning questions, and a ton of great reviews from real people. My sister just texted me, 99 problems, but pinching <laughs> isn't one. It's time to get your problem solved. Visit thirdlove.com and get $15 off your order with code PODCAST15. Think about how delicately you hold your baby, you dress your baby, and you feed your baby. We do that because they're adorable, of course, but also because their skin is delicate. Know this, there is only one diaper brand that we recommend to give you the gentle protective care your little one needs. And that's Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Their Swaddler's diaper absorbs wetness better versus the leading value brand and provides up to 100% leak-proof skin protection to keep your baby's skin dry, healthy, and beautiful. And when you use Swaddler's in tandem with new Pampers Free and Gentle Wipes, you'll keep your baby's skin healthy. The wipes are made from 100% plant-based cloth and you won't have to worry about tearing. With free and gentle, mess meets its match. That's right. So download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. Welcome back to We Can Do Hard Things. Hi, everybody. Hi. How you doing, Hello. babe? I'm very excited. And how are you, sis? I'm very excited. Oh, very good. Excited to talk to our guest today. Me too. As you might know, it's Mental Health Awareness Month. <laughs> Otherwise known as all year yeah. in our um, world. How funny is it that we would, we're going to take one month to talk about our 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 mental health. Like it's so mm -hmm. fascinating. It, I think it shows how we haven't yet figured out that mental health is for everyone with a mental, <laughs> right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. With a mind. Yes, I know. You know, it's a mind. Um, but there are some people whose minds are so special and so different that they can serve as guides for all who have mentals. Um, <laughs> and our guest today is one of those guides, and she has been a guide for me forever. I have been reading Jenny Lawson's, well, first on her blog, like decades ago. The blog S is how I found her. I think her tagline on, the, on her website is, like Mother Teresa, but better. <laughs> <laughs> That's how I first fell in love with her, with just that line. 
I've always loved Jenny as, as she's a, she's a, a hero of a lot of folks. And it's for many reasons, one, because she's unbelievably hilarious and honest, but also because there's so many people who talk about mental health in like our cultural way of talking about it, which is like just from an expert view or from like a before and after story, like mental health, extreme home makeover. Like they used to be a mess and now they're better. Before and after. Exactly. And it never feels true to me because that's never been true for me ever. So I don't understand how that, I always feel like people are lying Mm. when they're done with mental health illness or something. Like that's not the way it works. At least it's just not the way it works for you and and Jenny. Okay. I feel like for anyone, but (laughs) I'm sure there's some people who have fixed I'm just trying to say that there might be different people out there also. Yes, but great for them. Happy for them. (laughs) Well, and it also speaks to like, maybe that is true of those people's experiences, but it's not socially acceptable to talk about it from the thick. That's right. It's it's only like, oh, I too used to be an alcoholic. I too used to whatever. But but when you say like currently now, right this moment, live (laughs) broadcasting live to you is a very different beast. It's Mm. revolutionary. Yes. In a world that just celebrates victory stories. And it's true in a way that makes people like me and millions of people feel really seen and okay and belonging. So she talks about mental illness from it, not just about it. She just is, shows up in the middle and is one of us. Um, Let's just get her here. Can you just, we're obviously our guest is Jenny Lawson. Yes, Wouldn't Jenny it be Lawson. Funny if it wasn't? Well, after that intro, we couldn't get Jenny. She's high demand, but th- we have this other girl who used to know Jenny. Who's better now. Hi, Jenny. She's better now. Hello. Oh my gosh. I'm so glad to be here and also very nervous. I normally can't say that when I'm doing podcasts because I'm like, I'm going to be very professional, but um, this feels like a very safe place and that I can just be honest about it. And so... So I'm both very excited and also um, slightly terrified that I am going to disappoint and dealing with a lot of um, imposter syndrome and uh, fighting that off. Mm. Yeah. Same, Jenny. Right? (laughs) Same to all of it. Yes. Yes. Welcome. We welcome you with open arms. And also, I just want to say there's no possible way you could ever disappoint. We have this hour together and I'm so thrilled to have this hour together. And if we just stood here and stared at each other, I would be (laughs) so happy. I'm just grateful to finally get to see you and your face in real life. Can you read Jenny's bio? Jenny Lawson is an award-winning writer and humorist known for her piercing candor in sharing her struggle with mental illness. She's written four, count that folks, four New York Times bestsellers, including Let's Pretend This Never Happened, a mostly true memoir, Furiously Happy, a funny book about terrible things, <laughs> and Broken in, in the, the best, best possible way. way, which recently won the Goodreads Choice Award for the Best Humor of 2021. She is the owner of Nowhere Bookshop, an indie bookstore in San Antonio. Jenny lives in Texas with her husband and child and would like to be your friend unless, unless you're, you're a real, real asshole. asshole. <laughs> 
<laughs> Nobody be an asshole, Sister Abby. Don't. Be, I'm trying to. I'm trying to be Jenny's friend. See Listen. how she led with me, Jenny. She added Abby to be sweet, but mostly it was for me. Well, I mean, I don't think that I of any of the three of us have assholery. You're the me. least yeah, asshole. That's least. right. I On the pie chart, you're a sliver. Need to talk to myself. That's exactly what I was I'm trying the to asshole. get at. I think it depends. It depends on what you're using your assholery for, because it it can be a, a fantastic tool for the right thing. Jenny, talk to us about, first of all, it's Mental Health Awareness Month and then next month is Pride Month. So this is like really my time to shine, Jenny. I'm just really, this is like game month for us. Yes. Um, can you tell us in Broken, which I freak, I love all of your books so much. Um, Broken is just the most recent one I've read and I've read it twice and I read it once for my own little heart and, and mental. And- <laughs> Then for, again, for the interview, talk to us about your first panic attack that you remember when you were little. Oh, goodness. Anxiety has always been my constant companion. Mm -hmm. Um, So I'm not sure if I could even break it down to the first. Mm -hmm. Um, It's really more that uh, there's a lot of stuff that in retrospect, as I got older, I looked at and said, you know what? The average kid does not take out all of their toys out of the toy box and shut themselves in like it's a tiny coffin mm-hmm. or a sensory deprivation chamber. The average kid doesn't you know, throw up every day when because they're going to have to go to school. And the, the average kid doesn't have problems communicating with people. And so for me, it was always just my constant, I was just weird. I think now it's, it's easier to be weird. Um, but this was, you know, back in the seventies, eighties when you couldn't find your other weirdos and, you know, I'm living out in rural Texas and, um, it, it, yeah, it was Mm -hmm. rough. It took a, it took a long time before I saw, um, I, that's, that's really kind of how I discovered writing was because I, couldn't communicate in any other way. Mm. Um, and so not only because I was so afraid of talking, but also when I would talk, I would get really panicky. So I would either not talk at all. And I was just the very quiet person sitting in the corner, or as soon as I started to talk, I could not stop. And I would ramble and I would go off on these ridiculous, you know, (laughs) tangents and, um, and now I embrace it. Now I'm like, I'm okay with the ridiculous tangents, but at the time, was a different era, you know, and people were like, oh, there's something real wrong with her. Um, but finding writing gave me the ability to slow down time and mm. sort of mm. reprocess it mm-hmm. and say, okay, here's what I want you to know. And here's who I am. And um, it was through that, that I was able to communicate. Mm-hmm. That tracks. So your book is called Broken, the most recent one. Mm-hmm. And it's so interesting because I always had a complicated relationship with that word. My friend Brandy Carlisle named her book Broken Horses. And I was like, no, you cannot name it Broken Horses. Like you're not broken. <laughs> we had a whole thing. I was like, if you name it Broken Horses, no one will read it. And then she did. And then it became this huge New York Times bestseller. So that was fine. As did Jenny's. So. Yeah. Yeah. As yeah. did Jenny's. So I'm yeah, not getting asked for advice about titles anymore. But can you... <laughs> Tell me your relationship to the word broken and your embracing of that word. So for me, um, I've always felt um, a little bit just not right. I have um, 
clinical depression that's treatment resistant and I have anxiety disorder and I have um, avoidant personality disorder, which just makes me kind of think that everybody hates me all the time. Mm. And I have uh, impulse control disorder and I have trichotillomania. Like I collect disorders like other people collect holly hobby. Um, and I, I just was like, there's something really wrong with me because mm. I don't know anybody else like this. The more that I explored it, the more that I realized that the way in which I was broken, and, and I use that word in a way like of sort of reclaiming it, mm-hmm. of broken as in shattered in a slightly different way, but in a way that lets the light in. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it, it creates this ability to see things from a different perspective. I think that, um, I mean, it is a, a, a horrible struggle to deal with mental illness. But I think that for a lot of people, um, it creates a very deep well of compassion mm-hmm. because you know how hard it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and also because, you know, everybody's depression presents in a different way, which was something that, that, um, that for me, I always have to continue to remind myself because some people will be like, oh, I'm really depressed. And so I was crying all day and I'm like, my depression presents as a an extremely uncomfortable numbness. My face feels like it doesn't connect to me. I have absolutely no energy. Um, I, I just basically have to cling to the couch and be like, keep breathing. Your depression is lying to you. Your depression is telling you some terrible things right now and none of them are true. Um, and that is awful mm-hmm. and terrible, but it also makes me who I am. And that's not to say that if somebody said like, here, take this pill, you can get fixed forever. I wouldn't be like, yes, please let me have it. Mm. I'm not like, oh yes, I love to suffer. Mm-hmm. It's great. <laughs> but one of my doctors said, and it was one of the, the nicest things that anyone has ever said to me, it's always stuck with me. He was like, you don't let your pain go to waste. Mm. And I think, I think that's every single time when I'm struggling and everybody has their own struggle, you know, with, with whatever it is, I just think if we all could just learn from that, yeah. because it's so easy to turn brittle or angry, but to, to turn it and make it into, you know, positive forward motion of how could you help others? How could you have compassion for others? How could you have compassion for yourself? Because mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, I'm really good at forgiving people for the things that they do to me. Um, I, it is almost impossible for me to forgive myself mm-hmm. for you know, and I'm, I'm like, okay, well, I, I don't go to the PTA meetings because I, I can't handle it. And I don't go to, you know, so many of my kids things that I really want to be a part of. And I'm like, I, I just, I physically cannot make myself do it. I have to sort of pick and choose. And it's, it was really hard for a long time to, um, to deal with the fact of the, the disappointment that I felt in myself as a mom, especially when Haley was really young because when they were young, I didn't have an abil- any ability to sort of tell them that there was something wrong, except mm. I would just be like, I just don't, I just don't feel very good. And, and so, um, whenever things would get really bad, I, our thing was we would watch Dr. Who. And I, cause I was like, I can just sit on the couch. And, um, it's one of the, the TV shows that doesn't like jar me for some reason. And so, we would spend all this time and I would be thinking all of these other mothers are out there. They're cooking dinner for their kids. I'm not, they're washing their clothes. They're doing all this stuff. 
I'm just laying here. I'm literally doing nothing, just trying to breathe to get through this week. Um, and when Haley was older, I was able to explain it to them and, um, and, and apologize. And they were like, first of all, I, I didn't really realize that that was what you were going through. And I'm so sorry, but also those were the best memories for me. <laughs> like, do you not understand? Like you sat with me on the couch. Everybody else's mom was like, I don't have time for you. I got to go do that. I got it. But you were like, oh no, this is just me and you time. We're going to spend four hours just sitting here, snuggling and watching Dr. Who. Uh, okay. So beautiful. God, so the beautiful. things we think are, we should feel guilty about are the moments our kids are like, there she is. She's right. with us. She's letting me watch four hours of TV. I love my mama. With the 2024 games in Paris on the horizon, I've gotten nostalgic about my international career. And when I look back, there are a few things I would have done differently to make sure I made the most of my time abroad. And one of those things was to learn a non-English language more fully. A daunting task, yes, but a much easier one when you consider that Rosetta Stone can get you fast language acquisition through their intuitive, research-based, dynamic immersion approach. That's why they're the most trusted language learning program and have been for years with millions of users and 25 languages offered. Whether it's Dutch, Arabic, or Chinese, don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, we Can Do Hard Things listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash we can. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash we can today. One of the things that's so important to me is it's not just, oh, well, we're broken, busted up. So there are these silver linings. It's like, there's this chapter in your book called Rainbow Fire about like the actual gifts of these mm -hmm. ways of being, not just the sour grapes, not just silver linings, but like there's this moment where you're on tour uh, for the book. And so, so Jenny writes these books. She writes them, I think, from much of her writing comes, she makes sure she's in the place. She's in the depression. She's in the anxiety. That's why we can feel it's so real and so connected. Then she has to go on tour. Yeah. I mean, what you sick do, joke. it's sick like- Sick joke. It, yeah. Okay. So you have this one moment where you're on tour, you're in a hotel room, you're supposed to go out um, and speak to all of these people about your book and you get extremely anxious and you can't go out and you can't go out into the world and you are stuck in this hotel room and you're too anxious to go explore, which for me is such a metaphor of anxiety. It's like what always literally happens. And then you're like, oh, I'm missing my life. And all of those people are out there, out the window doing the things humans are supposed to do, but I can't experience life because of this anxiety and I'm wasting my life. And then can you tell everybody what? happens next when you're looking out the window? Yeah. I'm looking out the window and you can see like Times Square up here and you can see like all, just all of these things that 
that I'd always heard about on, um, like, you know, you read about them and you hear about them and then you actually see them in real life and you're like, oh my God, that's a real place and it really exists. It's not just like a, a fairy tale kind of thing. I kept going back and forth from my window to my door and every time I would get stuck and I would be like, I cannot do it. I cannot leave this hotel room. I cannot make myself leave here. My anxiety is too strong. And I just felt like such a failure. And I sat down next to the window and just opened it up. And I was like, at least I can feel like I'm, I'm kind of in New York. You know, I can like hear the noise. And, and I looked down and there's this, this big fountain and it's, I don't know what it's called, but it looks like a whole bunch of dandelions and it's like fountains on fountains. And, and it's so, it's so pretty. And I look down and I notice that there is this rainbow fire coming up off of this, of this fountain. And I am trying to figure out what it is. And I realize that it's, um, you know, a prism effect and I'm looking at it and I'm like, this is, I've never seen anything so beautiful. And everybody is walking past it as if they couldn't care at all. And I just thought, I guess, maybe they're just so used to it. You know, you get used to beauty, you don't see it anymore. And then I realized that that wasn't what it was at all. It was because I was so high up in my building mm. that I was the only one that could see the light hit it in that certain way. And that no one else was seeing this amazing, fantastic thing that was greater than anything that I would have seen out there. And that, that sometimes life creates a path for you and it's, it ends up that it's the right path. And mm -hmm. I just, I was so grateful that I was there in that moment. You said, I was reminded that there are amazing things I would never see with normal eyes and other paths. I cried again, but this time out of a small thankfulness that my brokenness set me in the place where I am. Beautiful, terrible, unseen by most. Mm. <laughs> you have so many of these so-called brokennesses and you just mentioned a few of them. You also um, have ADD and severe autoimmune diseases. Mm. I think one of the reasons so many people hold to your words like a lifeline is that you're able to put words to experiences that so many have, but are lonely and, and severely isolated inside of because they don't have a bridge of words uh, to be seen mm -hmm. and understood by other people. And you put words to these internal realities that are so absurdly accurate and honest and brilliant and often hilarious mm -hmm. um, <laughs> that you are bringing light to the experience that so many have. And I believe it's saving lives um, that you are giving people a bridge to walk over with your words. You describe your ADD self as a kitten on cocaine. Yeah. Please say so more. Yeah. What yeah. does it, <laughs> it's what is it like to, to live yes. with ADD? It is um, utterly exhausting. It's very much like working on LSD uh, where you just, you think like, oh, I think I'm doing this. And then later you look and you're like, well, I was not doing that at all. Um, <laughs> on a very regular basis. Like I would say like on a, a typical day, like today, and this has happened, I cannot even count how many times this has happened. Today, I have this uh, hyperfixation 
on, I, I tend to eat the same thing over and over again. So my hyperfixation lunch, um, which I've had pretty much every day for maybe three years is a pimento cheese sandwich on toasted bread. And um, like I'm keeping pimento, big pimento cheeses in business just because of me. I'm pretty <laughs> cool eating it. And so I, I went to put toast in the toaster and there was already toast in the toaster. And I was like, did I, I must've done this already. And, and, but then I looked at it and I was like, wow, it's really cold. And I'm like, oh, it's stale. And I'm like, oh, I did this yesterday. I did it yesterday and forgot to eat it. Just, just literally was like, yeah, I guess I must've eaten. My biggest problem is that, um, I have, uh, a lot of problems remembering to get my medication filled because I have ADD, which is impossible. And then, um, I'll, because I have AD and I'm just, just kind of, I get things kind of confused. I'm like, did, did I take, did I take the pill? Did I not mm. take the pill? And then I'll be like, wait, did I take my vitamin pill? Oh, am I ODing on vitamins? Have I, I can't, I have no idea. Um, oh I need to, I need to find a better, I need one of those, like, I think there's some sort of machine that says like, not you, uh-uh, you had too many, like, you know. <laughs> and so instead I end up not taking enough because I'm like, I don't know, maybe I already had one. I'm not going to chance it. Um, yeah, it's, it's really hard. Um, I've had to find a whole lot of tools mm. and, um, the really great thing about it with, with mental illness, with depression, with anxiety, with, is that there are so many people now who are willing to talk about it. They're willing to say like, this is where it works for me. This is what works for me. And you can kind of pick and choose. And I always think like, I have my toolbox and mm -hmm. I can be like, okay, this works for me. This thing that everybody was like, totally works. This thing does not work for me. Um, and so when somebody's like, you should try yoga, I'm like, oh, fuck you. Um, <laughs> you're like, I, I, I agree. Right. It works for everybody else, but no, I don't want to sweat and, and be uncomfortable. And I'm going to strain something. And also I'm going to fart so many times yes. in public. Thank yeah. you. Right. You're like, so, that should be good for my anxiety. Having to exactly. thinking about farting in front of 30 All, people from the PTA. The entire time. And you're in these positions and nobody else farts. <laughs> I've been to three yoga, yoga classes. No one ever farts. And I'm just, and the whole time I'm like, how? There's nothing, nothing. Anyway, it's insane. Um, but the, but I but I have all these tools, and so like for me, um, one that has been really helpful is Pink Noise, which is um, it's kind of like you know they have like different kinds of like gray noise and brown noise and whatever. Pink Noise, it sounds like kind of like the ocean, um, but there's something about that particular tone that helps block out. So like when I have ADD, I hear like I hear all the light bulbs in the house. And I hear, wow. I mean, everything is very loud all the time. So I can't concentrate on anything else. It's like if, it's, it's like if everything in your house turned up the volume to 90 and people are talking to you normally and, and you're going, do you not hear what's going on? Wow. We're in the middle of an earthquake. And they're like, no, it's really wow. not. I'm like, do you hear the lights? And they're like, no. But if you have, if you talk to people with ADD, most of them will say, oh yeah, oh my God, the lights in here are so loud, especially like fluorescent lights. Oh, awful. Um, but pink noise uh, drowns it out. And the really helpful thing is when I'm writing, because I have a really hard time like sitting down and getting things done. Um, there's a YouTube comp compilation of just like free, whatever pink noise. And I think it's like 20 minutes long. And so when I turn it on, I can write and as soon as I start to get distracted, I know that it's turned off and I can go to, I can say to myself, I just worked for 20 minutes. Even if I only got one sentence done, even if I'm going to delete it, it still gives me a chance to say, 
I completed 20 minutes. I think I can do another 20. Let's try it one more time. Wow. That's Um, awesome. As someone who deals with ADD, does it annoy you or not when people are like, I'm so ADD, like on all their memes and graphics because they like forgot one thing. (laughs) Is that an annoyance and a hurtful thing for you? Um, I understand. I understand why it's hurtful for other people. Mm -hmm. For me, no, it doesn't. Um, For me, it feels like it feels kind of compassionate um, in some way because they're like, oh, this uh, this really sucks that I was forgetful or I was this, you know, like that. And, and it's, it's not the same. And of course you shouldn't make fun of it and everything, but at the same time, I mean, I call myself crazy all the time. And there are some people who are like, you can't call yourself crazy. And I'm like, you know what? Mm. I get to take that word back. I'm yes. like, Justin Timberlake was sexy. I'm taking crazy back, you know, like <laughs> I embrace it and I'm, and I'm okay with it. One of the, the really nice things that has come from writing about mental illness is the fact that this is, a, I have to tell the story backwards to get to the thing. Um, when I first wrote about it, um, I was very afraid to talk about it, but, um, I, what I would do is I would write these funny posts and I would keep them so that when I was having a week, when I couldn't do anything at all, I could publish them then. Mm. And mm. I was like, oh, this is good. This is covering. And this is, um, but what happened was in fact, it made it so much more painful because of the cognitive dissonance of mm. people going like, you're so funny. Oh my gosh. And instead I'm like, I cannot shower. I cannot stand up. Like I hate myself. Mm -hmm. And, um, so I was like, I'm just going to have to write about it. And when I did my father, he just was like this, I don't think this is a good idea. This could affect you. Um, I just, uh, and, um, but I did anyway. And what happened was instead of people running away, um, thousands of people said, me too. I, you know, I also feel alone. I also feel sometimes like the world would be better off without me. I also listen to those lies that depression tells. And I have to remind myself that those are lies. And that when I come out, I'll go, oh, that was, that was not real. Mm-hmm. Um, and so what happened was um, I got all of these responses from people um, later on who were actively in the process of planning their suicide and decided to not and to get help, not because of what I wrote, but because they saw thousands of anonymous strangers say, me too, me mm-hmm. too. I, I also feel like this. And they thought, mm-hmm. how, could, how could they possibly feel like the world would be better off without them? And then they thought, well, if, if, it's, if I feel that for that stranger, maybe I could give myself that same benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. And, um, and what is so amazing is that now there are all of these people who, um, you know, reached out and they got help and they're still alive today and they're, you know, mothers and fathers and children and parents and they're, and they were saved by anonymous strangers who have no idea that they saved lives. Like mm-hmm. you don't know the ripples that you put out there. And just in saying, I also feel like that, that they saved lives. Um, and after that, my dad was like, I'm really proud of you. And um, I'm going to start talking about my mental illness too. <sighs> and, um, and, and before, you know, he, he really, I mean, to the point where like, when I first started to see a psychiatrist, when I was like, this is really bad, my mom 
just kind of sat me down and said, you know, this, this runs in your family, you know, that your, your dad has some really difficult issues and, uh, you know, your aunts and your grandparents. And I was like, no, I did. no one told me. Yeah. And, but yeah. that, but that's how, that's how it, it was. Mm-hmm. It was only recently that I found out that my, I think she was my great, great grandmother, my grandmother's grandmother. Um, uh, I was doing some genealogy stuff and I found that she died in, uh, the, a mental institution in our town. And I was like, that's so strange because I would have thought that I would have heard something about that. And my mom was like, I didn't know anything about that. And my grandmother was like, I didn't know anything about that. Um, cause it was hidden. It was completely hidden. And I, you know, found her death certificate and, um, it was <clears throat> death of, um, related to psychosis. And I was like, well, psychosis doesn't kill you. And so I did some research on that hospital and what they did at the time was insulin therapy where they put you into a diabetic coma and they did this mm. um, thing where they put you in freezing cold water, hydro uh, therapy. They did just these, these really um, barbaric treatments that a ton of people died from because they had heart attacks. Uh, and that's what, what happened with her. And so every time that I start to think it's hard to open up, it's hard to open yourself up and, and know that even though 99.9% of the people are going to say, Hey, I'm with you or someone I love also has depression, or I don't get it, but at least you're funny about it. Or, you know, that there's still going to be that 0.1% who's like, Oh, I knew you were crazy. They mm-hmm. should take your kid away. They should, mm-hmm. you know, lock yeah. you up. I just look at how far we've how far we've come and how easy it could be to fall back. I mean, we can mm-hmm. see that now with mm-hmm. stuff that's going on in the Supreme Court where I'm like, oh, that this was a done deal. I didn't have to think about this for the rest of my life. And all of a sudden yeah. I'm like, oh, mm. this is back. What? That's yep. right. Mm-hmm. Single-handedly impacting our environment for the better, that's a daunting task. But it's possible, and there are incredible people who are living proof that setting your mind to something and really being passionate about it will bring about change. The Goldman Environmental Prize is the world's foremost award honoring grassroots environmental activists. Each year, the prize honors six ordinary people who are making an extraordinary impact for the planet. If you look at this year's winners, you'll learn about Marcel Gomez who exposed the links between a company's meatpacking practices and illegal deforestation, which led to a major boycott of that company's products. Amazing. You'll learn about Andrea Vidalre, whose relentless leadership resulted in California adopting its most ambitious emissions reduction regulations in history. And there are more amazing stories to discover. I can't imagine stories more important than these. Find the stories of this year's prize winners at goldmanprize.org. Jenny, I feel like it's important to talk about suicide. Mm -hmm. And it's scary to talk about it because people are convinced that it's talking about it is contagious. That Mm -hmm. like, if you talk about it, that means other people will think of it or something and maybe they wouldn't have thought of it before. And and I think that comes from a good place too, right? Everybody's just right. trying to avoid it. Um, but 
what has always been surprising to me, and I have no idea if this is just because of my mental health issues, is that people seem so shocked. I can't even imagine is usually the refrain, right? Like I can't even imagine. And that is always very, feels like othering to me because Uh I'm always like, really? Like you can't, you can't, you've never thought about that. Like, so I don't even know exactly what I'm trying to say, but what I, I think what I'm trying to say is I feel like talking about it, even admitting, yes, I too have had those feelings. I too have considered suicide. I have had beginning thoughts or middle thoughts, or I don't think that that propagates suicide. I think that it, what you just said is so important. Talking about it makes people think, oh, maybe it's not, I'm not alone in it. And that makes you less depressed, which makes you less likely to commit suicide. Right? Like, yes. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree. Um, you know, there, there are some, there are, uh, you know, some issues. So like, for instance, I have, um, suicidal ideation, which means that I think about suicide a lot, even though it's not necessarily something where I'm like, Oh, let's do it. It's just an impulsive thought that I have. And for a long time, it really bothered me because you, I would think that, and I would get so upset about it. Um, and then I would get upset about being upset and it would actually make it much worse. And instead what I've learned is the best thing to do is just to like recognize that emotion and that thought and go like, okay, I see you. That's a little crazy. Put it in a bubble, push it off. And then if it comes back, you just continue to do that. Um, the other thing is that, um, for a lot of people, if you're in a dark place or if you have suicidal ideation, one of the things that you have to learn, and it's a really hard um, process, but you have to learn how to take care of yourself. And sometimes that does mean removing yourself from, from that sort of stuff. There are certain types of triggers of there's like some movies that I'm like, oh, I want to see this movie so bad. And, and I'll do like a little search and it'll be like, oh, this type of this happens. And I'm like, oh, I can't, I can't because mm-hmm. I, because I know it'll make those thoughts and I don't want to have to deal with it. Right. Um, so, so it does kind of suck that you're kind of having to carry your brain around in a little bag and go like, I know you want to look at this thing. This really dark thing looks exciting to you because your brain's there, but you, you know, um, but, but I absolutely think that, um, talking about suicide is, and, and the thoughts of it are so important because I think when it happens, um, it can be so terrifying that you can automatically think, well, I guess that that choice was maybe the right choice instead of having somebody say, oh, it's okay to have that thought. That Mm -hmm. thought doesn't mean that you're going to act on it. It just means that you need to talk to somebody. Mm -hmm. You know, you just need to make sure that you're safe. You need to, you know, talk to a therapist, talk to a friend. I've called the crisis hotline so many times. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and, and it, and it's wonderful. It's so helpful. Um, even, even sometimes I'll get somebody and I'm like, mm, nope. Okay. I, I'll talk to you later. Yeah. And then I'll call back and I'll be like, can I talk to somebody else? Because sometimes you get people who want to fix you. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't really want somebody to fix. You. I just want somebody to say that sucks. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry. You're doing really good. Mm-hmm. You're going to get through this. Um, and, and that's what I continue to, to remind myself, but yeah, you know, you always see people who are like, I can't believe that, you know, this person had everything going for them. And 
when your brain is not working properly, it doesn't matter. Doesn't I mean, matter. it's yeah, you, we and we don't do this to anything else. We don't we don't go like, oh, she lost her battle to cancer. She must be so weak, you know. Mm-hmm. And and I think suicide is terrible and horrible. And if you were in any way thinking about it at all, I can tell you, um, you need to reach out. You need to to get help because there are so many people who would miss you. I mean, you do not know the ripples mm-hmm. that you would make. Um, but I, but I also will say for a lot of people who, um, have left us, um, I feel, I feel really badly that for so many of them, that's all people think about is their mm-hmm. last mm-hmm. moments when I'm like, they had such an amazing, wonderful life and we should celebrate that. That's and, right. and I think, um, that also can be really helpful for people who have suicidal ideation because when somebody big, um, dies by suicide, we all feel like, oh my God, I could be next. I could be mm-hmm. next. Um, and, and you feel like, oh, okay, well they failed. And if you ha- if you can retrain your brain to be like, actually they succeeded in saving their life over and over and over again. Like Robin Williams had this mm-hmm. like long and amazing life filled with comedy and humor and pathos and severe ups and downs and flu and he had such an amazing life. And I think it's really sad when people just go like, oh, his life was a tragedy because it ended in this way. Um, Because everybody's life is an amazing chance to excel, uh, to to celebrate magic and um, appreciate it and feel it. And if you right now are feeling depressed and numb and feeling like you're never going to feel that again. I mean, you just have to trust that you will come out. Mm-hmm. And, and every single time I'm in a depression, I'm, I just came out of one. And when I was in it, I had to go back and read my own stuff to be like, okay, the, the past Jenny said, I'll come out again. And past Jenny must know it doesn't feel like it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't feel like it's possible. And then it does. And you can breathe again. Mm-hmm. And light works again and you can you could just be a normal person um which is so fantastic uh, but also a little exhausting because you come out and you're two weeks behind on everything mm-hmm. and there's there's always people who are like well it's because you're lazy you know if you mm-hmm. exercised more <laughs> you know if you damn prayed, yoga people exactly if you prayed the right way if you found the right god mm-hmm. if you did you know there's always you know, it's pretty it's probably your glucose no it's your gluten no it's your, i'm like ah, you know what it's just my brain it's generations of people we just have weird brains coming out of it is so interesting though i i saw something that made me feel so seen i'm sure it was a meme because that's the way my brain works yes. but it said something like coming out of depression is when you do your worldwide apology tour. (laughs) And I feel like that's it. It's just like you're in it. And then you spend the next month apologizing for every freaking thing you didn't do, didn't show up for the things you said, the things you didn't say. It takes another month. Oh my God. That is absolutely 100%. And then you have this like doubt in yourself of, you know, I, I didn't do these things that like a, the average normal person can do. I mean, it really is like waking up and you have the worst flu ever and you don't know how long it's going to last. Yeah. And everybody's like, well, you can push through the flu, but then they have the flu and they're like, oh, I can't push through this. I yeah. literally can't get out of bed. Mm-hmm. And it's like, that's what it is, except 
it's the flu that's in your brain. But guess what? Your brain controls everything. All, all my favorite stuff is in there. So like when it's broken, <laughs> all of this is broken. Everything that's attached to this is broken. That's right. Oh, yeah. That's right. Oh, God. oh it's so and good. That's so amazing. All my favorite stuff's in there. <laughs> I'm just going to say real quick for anyone who's experiencing that, who needs a place to reach out, uh, Jenny mentioned the the crisis hotline. It is 800-273-8255. 800-273-8255. And if and- you're sitting here thinking, how is that brilliant, amazing woman possibly considering that the world might be better without her? That's crazy crazy, no pun intended. <laughs> that is also true for you. Yes. Person who is listening. Yes. yes. And that for someone so who never has had any experience with suicide and doesn't understand what we're talking about, one thing that you could do is just to make sure that whenever you're in a conversation about this or you hear about it, that you react with reverence and not judgment. This is something we can do. We can stop saying that suicide is selfish. We can stop doing, you know, I always think about this poem that Warsan Shire wrote about um, refugee, her refugee experience when I think about suicide. And she said, she has this one line that says, you must understand no one leaves their home unless the water is safer than the land. Mm. And that's I how- I literally have that book right next to me. <gasps> really? Yeah. Oh my gosh. And that's what yeah. I want us every time someone says, it's so self, I want to be it's so selfish. It's so whatever. I can't imagine. I want to say, you have to understand. No one leaves their home unless the water is safer than the land. So just, just exactly. be grateful you don't understand. And yes. have some reverence. Yes. Yeah. I have a lot of people who will will come to me and will say, I I don't understand it. I don't understand depression. I don't understand anxiety. Um, but my uh, you know, my wife or my husband, they suffer from it. And so they gave me your book to try to understand. And I, I have a better understanding, but like, what am I supposed to do to help them? Mm-hmm. And I think that's, first of all, such an amazing, I, I love the fact that, that their first thought is not, oh, this is going to be exhausting for me. It's, it's how, how do I help them? Um, and, and I always just say like, it's different for every single person. And really the best thing that you can do is to just ask them, what is it that you need from me? Um, one other thing that that I would say that, um, so I don't talk about um, about my child and their experience because they're 17 and I'm like, you know what, when you're 18, you, I mean, they talk about their own stuff, but I'm like, I, I, I'm like, I'm not gonna publicly talk about any of, of their stuff until they're an adult and they're okay with it and they can make that decision fully. And so, um, but, but I will say for, um, parents, especially if you have hereditary issues, um, one of the greatest things that you can do is to, um, ask your kid how they are. And I, that, that sounds so dumb. Like, you know, like, how are you, but like to really be like, but, but really, how are you on a scale from one to 10, zero being the worst, 10 being the best. And that's really helpful because sometimes you'll have a kid and they'll be like, I'm a 10. And that's actually not great. Mm. Like that might be like, maybe there's some swings that are going on there. There maybe there's, and also the fact that they're able to like, think about it that way and be like, where am I really? Where would it? Cause you automatically want to say, fine. You automatically want to either please your parents or get away from your parents. Mm -hmm. Um, Usually both if they're teenagers. Uh, And, 
so that to me has been really helpful is that question of how are you really once a day, one to 10, where are you right now? And it's okay. I'm not going to judge you. Nothing bad's going to happen. I'm on your side. There's all sorts of, you know, different options. It's something that I wish I had found earlier. So I always pass Mm. that on to parents. Yeah. Putting like a number on it. I think for me, especially with Glennon, um, who also suffers from depression and anxiety, I have had to tune into some of her triggers, mm-hmm. like become hyper aware of some of her triggers. Actually, one of them happened last night. And the way I respond to knowing that something could be upsetting or could be creating an anxiety in her, the way in which I respond to that, the way in which I ask about that almost is more important in some ways than me even asking. I mean, I think the number, putting a number on it is like a brilliant way because it kind of cuts out any kind mm-hmm. of judgment mm-hmm. in it. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And so that I think is going to be, words don't make any that's sense. That's going to be like you're... really helpful. I think for me in my marriage, you know, because I'll just say, how are you feeling? You know? And she's like, I'm like, don't give me another job. Right she, now. She's like, like, I don't fucking... She's doing like six, th- like ca- calculations in her head. Like why, Hey, why did you fucking ask me that? <laughs> And right. B, why do I not look like I'm like, feeling okay? Exactly. Am I, am I re- how am I responding? So I think that that number, putting a number on it is really, really beautiful. Plus fine can mean so many different things. It fine depends on your baseline. I mean, if you fine can mean I'm getting through, I'm surviving, I'm going to show up tomorrow, but, but that's not necessarily fine. Like when I was, um, reading your book, Jenny, it was one of the things that convinced me to get on anti-anxiety medicine because I read a part of your book that has always been my fine. That has always been, I just thought that's how life was. Mm -hmm. And I didn't understand there could be a way that could be different, that that might actually be anxiety that is that experience that could potentially get better for me as opposed mm-hmm. to, I would have said I was fine because that's how I've always hundred percent been. I want to read this one part that I identified so much with because it, to the extent it helps anyone else. You were talking about anxiety and you said, sometimes my anxiety gets hard in ways that you might not expect. If you struggle with anxiety, you probably know this feeling, the paralysis. I get stuck and suddenly it's been days since I replied to people on the internet and the pressure gets worse and I panic that people I haven't responded to are mad at me. So I ignore their emails and I don't look at my DMs or my texts and I don't answer my phone or listen to voicemails because if I just wait until my mind gets better, maybe I can deal with this then, but I don't because it doesn't. And instead I look at those unopened emails from my friends and family and colleagues until I have memorized the subject lines by heart. And I think about how strange it is that they probably think I'm ignoring them when in fact I am utterly haunted by them. Yes. I I always think I'm sorry I didn't write you back. It's because I like you so much. (laughs) The idea that you would spend an hour thinking about the email that would take five minutes to write back and not understand why you're such a deeply fucked up person that you have now spent six hours thinking about (laughs) someone who must only assume that you don't give a shit about them because why won't you text them back for the (laughs) third time that they're like, just text me back and let me know you're okay. And you're like, and then you just "Ah." shut down. Yeah. Yeah. Then it gets even worse. Yes. My, My husband always, he'll walk in and he'll be like, touch it once. That's the rule. You open an email, you immediately respond to it. You close it, touch it once, never. And my, I have hit 
mark is unread, that is my like default. Mm-hmm. I look at an email and I'm like, nope, can't respond to that. Mark is, and they're, they're simple emails. They're sit there, but I'm just like, nope, I don't know. I, I don't know how words work. Mm-hmm. And then I'll come out of it. And all of a sudden it's like, like I'm a superhero. Yes. Like, like, oh my God, is this how normal people are? I went, I went to CVS to pick up my medication and didn't have to lay down afterward. Hero. Like, Oh my God. It's, it's just, it's so insane. Mm-hmm. Oh, God, it's so good. It's so okay. Good. So we are so close to out of time. So we ah! want to end with this. Yeah. First of all, very quickly, I need to tell you that the word stet I wear around my neck. Yay. So stet every like the wind motherfucker. Oh <laughs> my God. So, well, what does stet mean? Okay. So stet, which Jenny has an entire chapter about in yes. her book. It, okay. So when you first start writing, and you write a book and then your editor's like, you should change everything. And you're like, you're right. Just change everything. Just change it all. I suck at writing. And then when you get to a certain point where your editor asks you to change all these things and you can write this fancy word that is stet, S-T-E-T. And what that means is at, leave it as it stands. Leave Let it, it as stand. I wrote it. Let it stand. Or as Jenny says, okay, this is what Jenny says. Stet is my favorite verb. And it is the drier setting I live my life in. Stet equals, yes, it's fucked up, but I like it that way. (laughs) Yes. So thank you for that. Exactly. It's so, it's so wonderful. I'm like, sometimes you just, you, you have to learn how to write and what all the rules are just so that you can break all the rules. Yes. And it's so, it's so freeing and fantastic. And there are so many things that I have given myself permission to in my life. Like I don't own a, an ironing board or an iron because guess what? Dryers exist, you know, <laughs> if you put it in the dryer, that 100% works. Um, I don't always, you know, use a plate because if you eat over the sink, it's oh just a big Oh my gosh. Or you, <laughs> you can use your shirt. Yeah, oh my God, 100%. 100. Oh my gosh. Yes. Yes. Well, and see, I wear dresses because it's like a picnic table that you're wearing all the time. (laughs) It is the best. And people are always like, oh, it must be so uncomfortable to wear a dress. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'm not wearing pants. Wouldn't you like to take your pants off right now? I don't understand why. And all my dresses have pockets. So I'm just like, no, that's it. That's it. This is the key to my life is dresses that are big enough that I can eat all my food on. They have to be like super washer friendly. Mm-hmm. None of them have to be ironed and they have to be made out of whatever fabric that cat fur doesn't stick to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, yeah, that's I mean, how I Every live. time I see a hand wash or dry clean only, I just think, well, I guess this is going to be disposable. This is going to be like, <laughs> I wear it one time and then I throw it away. Cause no, absolutely. No one's doing that. No one's um, doing no, absolutely no one is doing that. So it's kind of a pretentious charade. I'm like, okay, it is. sure, t-shirt. <laughs> it's like yeah. when I buy broccoli. <laughs> it's like when I buy broccoli at the grocery store and I get I bring it home and Abby's like, should I just throw this directly in the trash? Or do you want to put it in the refrigerator for two weeks and then throw it in the trash? Because it's like a hopeful version of myself yeah. goes to the grocery store. And then a different version of myself lives in my home. See, that's why I go straight to the frozen broccoli. That's good. And especially the one that you can like make in its own pack, because then guess what? It's its own bowl. You just open it up and you put some, you put, you can either put butter in there or, you know what you can put in there? Pimento cheese. Ah, 
like, you don't even have to be dressed then. <laughs> no. There's no, there's no reason for you to have your dress on. So you can just no. have your frozen broccoli just naked, naked. with your Mr. <laughs> Who. Wait, oh, my God. So what we're saying is if you go to the grocery store and you find yourself in front of the fresh broccoli, you look at the fresh broccoli and you say, stat, motherfucker. And then you go to the frozen section. And take off your dress. Take off your dress. Pull off the broccoli. Yes. And go home. They're going to make you go in front. Everybody's going to be like, no, that's okay. You can go ahead of me. You can go ahead. Because you're the the naked person holding frozen broccoli. (laughs) Who's going to mess with you? You win. You win life. That's right. Robert Half Research indicates nine out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you are feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Their specialized recruiting professionals engage with their proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing, and creative legal and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. So what the next right thing is going to be, Jenny, is one of the things that we've been talking about incessantly about you is just what we've you've just done. It's like life is so ridiculous and being a human being is so ridiculously difficult. And there's just this one thing that helps, maybe two things. One is honesty and the other one is absurdity. The way that you embrace absurdity as it's like an injection of of humanity and joy into life that just demands, it's like desire and absurdity (laughs) are like the only things that can can help us hold on to our humanity. So you have like entire chapters or, or, or months on social media that it's all I read for a month where you were like talking about mortifying things that, that you do. Like when you're in the airport and the person says, have a great flight. And you're like, you too. And then you're like, fuck, why again? Happens to me every time. And then everybody starts telling their mortifying stories. And it's this common, what is it, Jenny? It's like, nothing bonds us. Like our humiliating, even humiliating. It's like the word human. Yes. Yes. It is, there is something so incredibly honest about sharing the most mortifying thing that has ever happened to you. Um, Not only because you are opening yourself up in such a vulnerable way, but because that thing that has been stuck in your head that you've been like, oh my God, that horrible thing that happened to me in seventh grade that I lay at night at two o'clock in the morning and just my stomach hurts when I think about it. Once you share it and people laugh and say, oh my God, you thought that was bad. Let me tell you what happened to me. And then all of a sudden you're making friends and you realize that those are the people that you want to be friends with. You don't want to be friends with the people where you're like, oh, I have a car. And they go, oh, I have a nicer car. And you go, oh, I can't wait to be friends with you. You know, I don't know. You have whatever. Uh, Nobody's like, oh, I can't wait. I can't wait. This person has like really great hair. And so I want to be best friends with them. No, you want to be friends with the people who make you laugh, who make you feel safe, who make you feel comfortable. And, um, you know, what was really great is not only that... I mean, they they were so utterly fantastic. Every single one that was that was shared that I was like, I need to put this in the book because this really Ugh. helped me. And I thought I was like, I want to give credit to all of the people. And I thought 
I bet a lot of them will be like, I do not want this in a book that people are going to read. And so I reached out to, um, I want to say maybe a hundred, 150. Um, and every single person said, absolutely. Yes, you can use it. Uh, and they were like, not only did that terrible thing turn into something that now is so funny, I have found friends um, out of this who I'm now friends with because they reached out online. And now this thing that before made my stomach hurt every time I thought about it. Now I'm like, oh, that was part of a New York Times bestselling yes. book about yep. you know, humor and acceptance. And yep. yeah, Ugh. it's just, it's amazing. And that's what people... That's what people want. They want from each other. And that's what, what we want from ourselves is that authenticness of like, hi, I'm fucked up. Are you fucked up too? Can we be fucked up together? Can I lower my shield? Okay, let's hide behind both of our shields. And then all of a sudden, there's like this whole group of people and we're all together and we're like, this is- Oh this God, is it's so good. It's beautiful. Yes, hell yes. Because of you, we started telling our most humiliating stories, just the three of us. We're going to do a whole episode on our Jenny oh, Lawson inspired- most humiliating stories. Um, My Jenny, favorite one in the book was the woman at the hairdresser who, when they said, well, what do you want done today? And she said, I would like to have a wash, a cut and a blow job. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Or the, or the lady who asked for a, a blunt cut, but she missed up where the end was supposed to go and uh, asked for a blunt uh, something else. And... <sighs> A blunt yeah. cunt, cunt, yeah. a clip, yeah. cunt. cunt. Yeah. Oh C my word. god, yeah. that's so she, well, she good. wanted a blunt, blunt cut, and she asked for a blunt cunt. Bless her. <laughs> it's the hairdresser, and you know what? The hairdresser is a lot of them, and I think it's because the hair dryers are going the hair in dryers. So, just real quick, I'll tell you that my my hairdresser, who I love, her name's Ashley, and she's like this young, exciting whippersnapper, and she was doing my hair, and she was telling me about some big plans she had for the next year. And she said, I'm Glennon, I'm going to become an escort. And I was like, this is my moment where I might have some feelings because I'm like a 45 year old mom, but like, this is a young woman who's sex positive and she's going to be an escort and you Glennon Doyle are going to celebrate this in the moment. And so I said something like, oh, okay. Like where are you going to get your clients or something? And she said, well, I'm just going to keep the same ones. And I was like, holy shit. All right. That's a weird crossover. Right. (laughs) I was like, okay, so we, I'm excited for you. Like, let me know how I can support you, whatever. So later, much later in the day, we text back and forth and I realized what she said, Jenny, is I'm going to be an S corp. An S corp. C-O-R-P. Which is- a business, which is a freaking business term. Title. Like she's like, get it going to be a different name for her business or something. And so yeah, like not an LLC. No. So of course she was going to have the same clients, but she wasn't going to have sex with them. Anyway, <laughs> maybe okay. she was Jenny. Oh, you are a revolution. You are a leader for all of us who just want to, to be close with each other in a real way. Like you want to be human together. You have this part of your book where you're talking about this art called kintsugi and you say it's a Japanese art of fixing broken things with lacquer dusted with powdered gold to treat the repair as part of the history rather than disguising the breakage. The brokenness becomes part of the story and beauty of the piece. And Jenny, just that is you. You just, nothing is disguised. All of it is shown. All of it is golden. You are human kintsugi and we are so grateful for you. (laughs) 
Thank you for helping us do hard things. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. And this was fantastic. And this was a a hard thing that was very worthwhile. So thank you for having me on. I I cannot tell you how much I actually needed this today. So thank you. And for the next right thing, I think everybody should just go out and share their most humiliating stories. Yeah, do it. In honor of Jenny's belief that we also believe that one of the things we can do to draw closer to each other is share our mortifying stories. Please call and share your embarrassing, mortifying stories with us. We're just so excited to hear these messages. We'll probably get together and listen to them um, during a slumber party, but also we'll probably play some of them during our mortifying moments episode, which is forthcoming. Or you can email. Yes. If you prefer that, if you're not into the voice messaging, the email is wcdhtpod at gmail.com. So it's the first letters of we can do hard things pod at gmail.com. H-T-P-O-D at gmail.com. Or the phone number <laughs> is 747-200-5307. Once again, that is 747-200-5307. Tell us the story. Or email. Please tell us your stories. We cannot wait. And when life gets hard, don't forget, loves, you can do hard things. Talk soon. Bye. We Can Do Hard Things is produced in partnership with Cadence 13 Studios. Be sure to rate, review, and follow the show on Apple Podcasts, Odyssey, or wherever you get your podcasts. Especially be sure to rate and review the podcast if you really liked it. If you didn't, don't worry about it. It's fine.